A reading from the book of Baruch, from the Apocrypha, chapter 3. Learn where prudence is, where strength, where understanding, that you may know also where are length of days and life, where light of the eyes and peace. Good morning. It's a pleasure to see you again. Pleasure to be in Aspen. And thank you, Nicholas and Heather Beasy, for your invitation and warm, gracious hospitality this weekend. You live in a beautiful city. About Zen, to start from far off, I was down at your tented theater a few minutes ago, and uh, I heard them uh, practicing for the performance at the noon and another performance in the evening. I couldn't get in, but I could hear them, uh, the different instruments as the artists were practicing. And I was thinking of a friend of mine who is a, uh, a bassoon player in, uh, in Switzerland. I think it is the Basel Philharmonic in which he is the leading bassoon player. And uh, he's married uh, to a woman who they're beautifully bound, beautiful together. They're both gracious, gracious people. Physically, though, they're an oddity. He is about five feet five foot three, maybe five foot four, and she is 5'11". So they have something to talk about right away when they meet people, you know. How did you two get together? But they came to New York, and uh, one of their trips, for a two-week visit, and he brought his bassoon with him, which is about as big as he is, you know, and I'm, it's a big, heavy instrument. And uh, I said, why did you bring it here? Two weeks, I mean, you know, just... Take a vacation. And he said, oh, no, I couldn't be without my bassoon for two weeks. I have to practice every day. Oh, no, 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 every day. If I didn't do that, I would know right away my music would fall off. And my fellow musicians would know right away that I hadn't been practicing. Oh, no, 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 I have to, every day I have to practice. I go, well, what a lesson for Zen people. If we don't practice every day, our friends will notice. <laughs> There's a wonderful woman in Texas, Kuka uh, Monticel, and uh, she has two young boys, and uh, sometimes she's a bit testy in the morning. They say to her, Mother, have you done your sitting this morning? <laughs> so we have to keep it up.
just a few things. This is not uh, a homily or the beginning, middle, and end. That's not the way the Japanese the Zen people do things. Just a few things and uh, see if it is helpful. First of all, there are many truths in life, and they are all true at the same time. So it's a question of sorting them out uh, with discretion and, uh, and so on. How do we know how to live with so many truthful possibilities in front of us? The Jewish novelist Saul Bellow says to this question, you know, you know, You know. So in scripture, scripture makes it easy for us with all these truths. It says exactly what you have to do. Be just, show mercy, and love tenderly and all the circumstances of your life. That's it. Do you remember uh, Stan Getz? Stan Getz was a uh, saxophone player, one of the greatest that the country has produced. He was pure genius. And uh, who knows Sam Getz? And someone asked him, what is your secret? How do you play that thing so beautifully? It's, it's just one. You're one with the, with the saxophone. And Sam Getz said, I never played a note I didn't mean. Wow. I never took more than my share. I always forgave from my heart. I always loved tenderly. Can we say that? Why cannot I say amen? He gave everything to every note he played. Zen says the same thing, give everything with every breath we take. If we don't, we become dissonant. Not evil, maybe, but dissonant. Our life spins out of control. We become not something we want to be. Now, Stan Getz didn't uh, know anything about Zen, but he expressed it beautifully, wonderfully. Would that we could say, I never said a word I didn't mean. I never failed to forgive a friend. 
I was never so insensitive not to love tenderly. In other words, Zen is life. Zen is not a a Buddhist denomination. It is life itself. People who never heard of Zen can exemplify it wonderfully, naturally. And if I can't say that, why not? What did I get in return for my own self? What did I get in exchange for my own decency when I bartered it away? For what? Sen says, you know, find your true self. There are no rules in Zen. One Chinese woman who is now a fine, extraordinary Zen person, and the first day she came, she said, what are the rules here? I said, there are no rules here. How can there be rules for your life? No rules. How will I know what to do? I said, be yourself. Find your true self. That's Zen. Zen is not a simple denomination, you know, of uh, disagreeing about trifles. I mean, it's about your very life. Or a scripture says, what will we exchange for our very life? What will we give for the very best that is in us? The American poet Ellen Bookman writes, When did I say it was okay that this truth was dead in me? When did I say it was okay to be less than I should be? When did I acquiesce? When did I take that step when I took more than my share? When I stopped living tenderly. The poet Claire Massoud puts it this way. When we're not our true self, when we are not living moment to moment, saying what we mean, we have a fictive self. We become a fiction, a conglomeration of opinions from other people, something that's not true, something that's made up, a fictive self. The poet J. Hope Stein writes, we are a sucking people when we move away from our true self. Each of us becomes alive only by the teat of the other. We're sucking people.
how far we've fallen. As Milton writes of Lucifer, he fell from morn till noon, from noon to dewy eve. How far we fall when we acquiesce, when we take the soup. Uh, The writer Anthony Apaya writes, fictions are useful. We need them to navigate life with others. But we should recognize the ways we deviate from reality. Recognize the ways we're not dealing with our truth, but with some fiction. Sin uh, shows up in different ways with different artists. The uh, novelist Joseph Conrad writes of the sea, and he says that Zen, life itself, shows up in the sea in, uh, in sailing ships. He says not steamships, that's a different story, but sailing ships. This integration of the sails, all of them, topsails, spinnakers, with the wind and the tide, and dealing with Proteus, the sea is a shapeshifter, constantly shifting, and you have to constantly shift the cells to uh, be in tune with it, because the sea is not your enemy, but it is unforgiving. You either learn or you go down. And Conrad writes that to be a sailor, we're talking about the quality of a single-handed struggle with something much greater than oneself. The laborious, absorbing practice of an art where the intimate result remains on the knees of the gods. Sailing is not for fun. It is uh, life or death. But I think this is a good explanation of Zen practice. Your quality of a single-handed struggle with something much greater than yourself. Yes, life itself is greater than you are. We're trying to measure up to being what we should be in an indifferent world that doesn't care whether we live or die. The laborious, absorbing practice of an art. Yes, yes, that's the way I see Zen. A laborious, demanding practice every day with something much greater than myself, constantly, constantly challenging, me, challenging me to be myself. To be able to say, I never played a note, but I didn't mean. That's the palm at the end of the mind. 
where the intimate result, the intimate result, remains to be seen. Nothing guaranteed. Life is not fair. I remember in a New York theater watching Amadeus and the great actor who played Salieri. That all my practice, all my virtue, all my prayers, and the gift was given to that obscene boy. Life is not fair. Life will break our hearts. No guarantees. Take your chance. Should I gamble my whole life on a practice without a guarantee? Labor incessantly and the gift given to some obscene child. That's it. Take it or leave it. That's it. You gotta love it. There was an Israeli poet who died this past year, Haim Guri. He's an old man. He died at 94. He was one of the founders of the state of Israel. He was into everything, part of everything. And uh, when he died, his family simply said, his body was exhausted. What a wonderful tribute. His body was exhausted. He gave everything. Gave everything for what he loved and believed in, you know. It doesn't matter what he loved and believed in, in a sense. Go until we can't do any more, until the body is exhausted. Say yes to life as it unfolds in front of us. Uh, I've been in Ireland recently, and I met a, uh, a Dominican priest there who was a potter, a potter. And uh, his name is Donald O'Shea. He lives in uh, Dublin. And he says that uh, this is a wonderful thing, uh, making a pot. You know, you have the wheel, and then you have the, uh, the clay, the clay is not mud. The clay is crushed stone, you know, with some mud to loosen it up. But it requires hard work. You know, the wheel spins, and 
You say, well, you have to use your hands. Oh, no, 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 no. You will have to use the whole arm. No, you got to use your shoulder. You got to get your shoulder into it. No, that's not enough either. I mean, right down to your toes, you have to move into that wheel, you know, and you play and shape it as it spins. And sometimes you fail. Why does a pot fail? Shapeless. Because of lack of energy in the potter. You can't blame the clay. It's the one who's working it, shapes it. So he runs workshops with people. He gets, it's not inexpensive. He has several wheels and he gives them the their clay, and uh, puts them to work. And they'll ask him, what should I make? He said, I don't know. What do you want to make? What is your vision? He said, well, I don't know. Can you help me? And he said, all right. Make something that has no name. Make something that has no name. That is then, really. Beyond names, shape life in a way that it reflects your spirit. The presupposition you come to the will with a spirit, with some vision, some hope. And the people work all day and then come up with something and they share then what they have made and explain why they went the way they did. I think it's a fantastic thing, you know. Because you see some of the great parts, especially that came from China in the Song Dynasty, you know, that are worth a fortune. But the different shapes, sometimes the full-bodied vase, you know, then with a long, thin neck. People come up with wonderful things. The only failure is when there's a lack of energy in the potter. Life fails when we have a lack of energy. It's not brilliance or circumstances. It's energy. That's what we need, you know. That's where we fell. Hamishol said, too tired for company. I seek a solitude I am too tired to fill. Uh, Dogen, the great Japanese Soto Zen master of the 12th, 13th century, he said, if a student fails in Zen, it is the fault of the teacher. 
the teacher should have had the energy, the, uh, the insight, the, the, uh, the compassion, the patience to bring the student through to something. Well, I've made a few, installed a few Zen teachers. I remind them of that. If your students fail, it's your failure. But you haven't given enough. Not every word from your mouth was real. Honest. We don't have forever to do this. There is a chant that the Zen people say every day, every night during a, a, a retreat, during a session. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken. Take heed. This night your days are diminished by one. Do not squander your life. There is a, a picture of a Japanese bodhisattva, a bo female bodhisattva, looking back over her shoulder. And uh, frequently that is next to the entrance to a, a meditation hall, as if she's saying to the person who's coming in, where were you? What took you so long? <laughs> What were you doing? What were you thinking? Where was your head? Where was your heart? Zen is not about simply having an insight. I think for too long in America, there was this uh, feeling that we have to have a special insight. We have to see light. It's not, Zen is not about just opening the head, it's about opening the heart. It's about turning us to someone who can say, I never said a word I didn't believe in. So it's an ongoing process. I'm not sure why it touched me. 
Well, in a sense, I am. I had an experience in a Zen context, so I attributed it to Zen. I heard someone speak on the radio of Zen, and I, suddenly it, it, it struck me the truth of it, beyond explanation. And the truth was, to me, the way I heard it, the absolute randomness of the world. We are a collection of accidents. The anthropologists now say, if you could wind the, the movie of evolution back to the beginning and start it over again, it wouldn't be end up where it is now. It is an absolute accident that we are the way we are now. We are the result of a million circumstances that could well have been different. Any one of our ancestors had been different. We wouldn't be here. We'd be totally different people. It is this randomness of things that, that caught my attention. And I remember I said, yes, yes. This. What is this fleeting moment then? Who am I, the accident of a million accidents? So it was a road less traveled, but I met some beautiful people. Beautiful people. So here we are, we share our life together. What's the time like, Nicholas? I'll just do it. We're about done. We're about done. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you. Let's give our hearts to the moment and just think of our world and with energy and intention let's give ourselves to those parts of the world that are in difficulty right now we think of people suffering from fires and natural disasters in California and all around the world people lost their lives and their homes people here in the valley Let's give our hearts with energy and intention to those people. Let's think of those in war zones and places where they are out of control. We think of Syria, places in the Middle East where people live in fear of their lives. Let's give ourselves with energy and commitment to those people and circumstances. People in prison. People under oppressive regimes. People homeless, people hungry. People through accident, of no fault 
from themselves, feeling thrown down and powerless. Think of those who are in hospitals, whose bodies are failing, who are ill. We pray that we may give to them that energy and commitment. And we do think of those people near at hand who we care for in this community. We think of Patricia Hill. We think of Father Joseph Boyle. family of Trish Nice who died recently. Pray for Martha Martin facing pancreatic cancer. For Sophie Layton, four-year-old facing cancer. And Soleil Untenta, pray for her final checkup after a two-year struggle with four stage, stage four cancer. May we be the light and energy that helps those who are around us. We pray your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.